0: we've been sharing a series called Straight Talk. And the idea behind Straight Talk is that there are, there are certain parts of our lives that are usually off limits in in polite conversation. You know, we don't give advice about parenting unless it's asked for. We, We don't tell somebody what to do with their finances we we don't we don't give advice on marriage unless it's requested that kind of thing well this series is straight talk where we get all up in your business where we talk about those things that we normally wouldn't just casually talk about in everyday conversation the reason we're talking about some of those issues some of those topics is because the bible does and it would, be, it would be wrong of us to ignore some of the Bible's teachings um, when, we, when we meet together and when we talk about what the Word has to say. So I want to share with you this morning some biblical principles about parenting. Straight talk about Parenting. If you have your copy of Scripture with you or if you want to follow along in the Bible app, we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm always concerned about preaching to parents because I know that in the room this morning there are some who are not parents and it would be tempting to say, okay, I I can turn this off and take a nap right now. I, I understand. I also know that there are some folks who would love to be parents, but are not. And I know these days can be difficult for you. But for the same reasons that I've already mentioned, I feel like it's important for us to see what the Bible does have to say and to address it from time to time. A lot like the preacher that you probably heard of before. When he was a young preacher, just getting started, he had a sermon called Ten Commandments for Parents. After he got married and became a father, it was ten hints for parents. Another child arrived, and his sermon was some suggestions for parents. After the third child was born, he threw the sermon away. (laughs) The temptation is to avoid issues like this one, but the Bible talks about it and so we don't want to ignore it from the pulpit. Let me show you Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's begin at verse 4. Before we jump into verse 4, you need to I want to share with you just kind of some background here. What's happening in Deuteronomy chapter 6? As you know, Moses led the people out of Egypt. They wandered through the wilderness. By the way, the primary reason for that wandering was their own disobedience. But they wandered through the wilderness. God was leading them to a land that he had promised to them and to their fathers before them. They get to the land, and just before they enter into this new promised land, where they would establish their nation, they would build their homes, just before they begin this new major chapter in their lives as a nation, Moses says, hang on, let's talk before we go inside. He says, now, when we get inside, when we get to the land of promise, from now on, this is what God wants us to do. This is who he wants us to be. And he shares with them the law. The preamble to that conversation, the preamble to the law, if you will, is summarized for us in Deuteronomy six. The reason I say all of that is to say this, God is creating a a new people. He he has built the, the, the people of Israel. Now he's going to turn them into a nation in their own land. And from that nation, In that land will come the Savior of the world. This is major important stuff. And so before all of that happens, Moses says to them the most important things they need to know to get all of that started. So Deuteronomy 6 is huge on the importance scale. Beginning at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That became what was known as the Shema. It's a, part of, it's a prayer that even to this day, uh, traditional Jews will pray that prayer often throughout the day. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It became a part of their worship. It became a part of their songs. The Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was so important Because they were in a place that was surrounded by people who had false gods. Many, many gods. All of them false. There's only one true God. And so Moses says, remember the Lord. That word is His proper name. You see how it's in all caps? That means it's not just saying the Master. It's saying Yahweh. The One who revealed Himself to us. Yahweh, our God. Yahweh is one. He's not many. You don't don't pick him out of all the other gods around us. There's only one God. He brought us thus far. He, He will be our God. We will be his people. The Lord, our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, With all your might, every aspect of your being, every part of who you are is to love God. So here Moses is ready to get the people started in their new land, in their new life. And he says, guys, before we get in there, remember, our God is one God. We're his people. Love him with everything you've got, every part of your being. And then what's the next important thing that he has to say to them that he wants them to remember for generations He says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And parenting becomes a major part of God's plan from the very beginning of establishing the nation in their new land, their new life. He makes sure to include parenting. He says, guys, this stuff is so important. You've got to teach your children these things. That's why parenting is important enough for us to have some straight talk about it. We're going to look at some biblical truths, some biblical principles as we go. But I had to start here because he instructs us, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. What is he saying in verse 7? He's saying when you live your everyday life, talk about these things. Notice he didn't say when you go to church. He didn't say when you go to grandma's. Let her do it. What he said was when you get up in the morning, tell your kids about the important things that I'm telling you today. When you go to bed at night, talk to your kids about God and His ways. When you walk down the street Talk to your kids about God and what's important to Him. It's a part of our everyday life. God is not to be relegated to one day a week. If God is God, and He is, then we love Him with all of our heart, our soul, our might. That means every day, all the time, we are thinking and talking and living for Him. And we raise our kids to do the same. With that as our background, let me share with you some biblical principles about parenting. First, recognize your child is a gift. Recognize that your child is a gift. If you've been blessed enough to have a child, understand what a blessing that is. What a tremendous gift it is. Don't ever think of your child as just an inconvenience. You say, well, I would never do that, but I see a lot of parents who do. It's inconvenient for us to have to run by their schedule. It's it's inconvenient that we have to put our desires aside, that we have to put our needs second. It saddens me to hear so many parents complain about the sacrifices they have to make for their children. Or to see so many parents who are committed to their own wants and needs before those of their kids. That's not parenting the way God intended it to be. Psalm 127 at verse 3 reminds us, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. I'm not sure why some parents who want children don't seem to be able to have children like they want. I've learned a lot about it because we went through it for many years and I'd be glad to sit down and talk with anyone who wants to talk about that. I understand it and we can wrestle with some of that together. But what I do know is that if you have been blessed with a child, you should be overwhelmingly grateful and see that child as a gift, not a burden. Parenting requires sacrifice. It's hard work. And you probably won't get very much recognition for it. I know once a year they give mom a flower. And once a year they used to give dad a tie since we don't wear ties anymore. I'm not sure. But you don't get the recognition. Guess what? Parenting's not about you and getting recognition. Your child is a gift. And when you you celebrate that gift, you're overwhelmed with joy for it. You play with your kids because it's fun to play with your kids. You enjoy them. You talk to them. You listen to them. Why? Because they're an awesome gift from God. You remember how children spell love? You've heard that in many places, often not. You remember how they spell love? T-I-M-E. That's how they get it. That's how they understand it. Friends, here's some straight talk, and every time I've said this to people, it's been misunderstood, so don't hear what I'm not saying. All right? Hear this. Go to their school programs. Go to their sporting events. Participate in whatever they're interested in, but realize that is not enough. That is not spending time with your child. That's spending time for your child. When you're at a program or you're at a sporting event, you're in the stands. The child's on the field. You're not spending time together. Start there, but understand that's not near enough. That's just showing support. That's showing love. But then when you spend time one-on-one, you're on the living room floor playing Barbie Uno or whatever it is. That's where they get T-I-M-E. That's where they experience love. It doesn't mean don't do that. They don't go to their games. Just know that's where it starts, not where it ends. Your child is a gift from God. Cherish that that gift. Second, in Scripture, we can learn that you want to give your child unconditional love. You give your child unconditional love. So often, we think we're giving our child unconditional love, but is that the message they get? Or do we put so much pressure on them sometimes we talk to them in a way that makes them feel like they have to They have to jump through certain hoops and figure out how to earn our love. Understand, I didn't say unconditional respect. Sometimes we don't respect some of the choices they make. Sometimes we don't agree with their decisions. But as a parent, we can separate those things from our love. As a parent, I love my child no matter what stupid stuff she does. Matter of fact, Ashley grew up hearing every day and then every night when she went to bed, she grew up hearing, I love you, no matter what, and I always will. She heard it so much that she got tired of hearing it. So I'd say, I love you, and I all, and about that time she would just start making noise to cover up. So, she didn't have to hear the whole thing. And it became a game. But I'm telling you, that kid knows that her mother and her dad, I'm pointing at her because she's watching on live stream. That kid knows that her mama and her daddy love her no matter what. Kids need to know your unconditional love. And folks, we have the perfect example of what the unconditional love of a father looks like. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows His love for us in that when we made the right decisions, when we wore the right clothes, when we went to church, when we made the life choices He wanted, none of that's included, is it? What does it really say? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The perfect example of a father's unconditional love. We were still sinners. And yet he loved us so much that his only real begotten son died on our behalf. Unconditional love may be the, most, the strongest power in the world. Author Kate Simperi put it this way. Before becoming a mother, I had a hundred theories on how to bring up children. Now I have seven children and only one theory, love them. Especially when they least deserve to be loved. Wade Hughes was an Assembly of God preacher. And in telling some of his own personal stories, he told that one day a little boy came to the altar and he was crying. He was praying. Wade Hughes says, I knelt next to him and the little boy said, Preacher, pray that mommy would love me as much as she loves the dog. Your children need to know how to behave. They need to know their manners. They need to know important stuff like your contact information. But more than anything else in the world, they need to know you love them, period. Give your child unconditional love. Third, raise your child as a unique individual. Raise your child as a unique individual. That's why the parenting books are helpful guides, but they don't have all the answers for your kid, because your kid is unique. If you've been blessed with more than one, you know they are not all the same. You can't talk to all of them the same way. They each respond to different kinds of discipline. They each have different love languages. So for one of them playing cards, playing Uno on the living room floor says, I love you. For the other one that says, man, you're weird. Every child is unique. They are an individual. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is a familiar verse, but it's often misunderstood. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, He will not depart from it. Too many of us grew up hearing that and thinking that that means take your kid to church when he's young, and when he grows up, he'll always live right. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'll bet you we've got some parents in the room who figured out that's not the way it works. Because that's not what it's saying. It's saying every child is unique and different. Train up that child in the way that child was put together. God gave your child special gifts, abilities, talents, interests. See that child for who he or she is. And train them in how to use that uniqueness in following God. Now, along the way, they may choose not to follow God, at least not as closely as you'd like. But they will never be able to walk away from the training that they received. Train up that child in the way that child was put together so that they know the way they should go. And when that child grows, he will know who he is. He won't depart from the training, the understanding of his uniqueness. God created him or her with a special plan. Help them find the plan based on who they are. Christian parents, it's your job to create a desire for God in your child. It's it's your job to create a hunger for God in your child. It's not your job or your responsibility to make sure that they feed that hunger. They might walk away, but it's your job to show them the way they should go. To show them how to live a life that desires God. Look again at Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them diligently to your children shall talk of them throughout your day. There's a popular mindset among parenting today that sounds good because the way our society has influenced our thinking, this sounds so good. It makes so much sense to our brains. This is the idea that in the name of fairness and freedom, we're not going to influence our children too much in the realm of religion. You've heard it. You've even said it perhaps. I'll just... I'll just let them grow up to make their own choices. That's freedom, right? That's acceptance and tolerance. I'll just let them, when they get old enough, they can figure it out for themselves. They can make their own choices. The problem is, that's exactly opposite of what God told Christian parents to do. In the very beginning of establishing His nation in their new land, He said to them, now y'all teach your parents this stuff. Teach your children this stuff. It's okay to teach parents too. Teach your children this stuff. And in other places, he says, now hand it down to the next generation and the next generation. God's plan is that we do teach them the way in which they should go. Even if it doesn't make sense in our current culture, this is God's plan for your child. Number four, give your child consistent discipline. Give your child consistent discipline. Again, there's a style of parenting that I'm noticing more and more. And I think think it can be really dangerous. And it can be an awful mistake for Christian parents. And that's, that's when parents just ignore misbehavior. We just pretend we don't notice it. Because if I notice it, then I have to deal with it. It's easier just to kind of pretend I don't hear that happening. I don't see that over there. We just kind of, we want to ignore it, pretend it's not there. Instead, biblical principles include consistent discipline for our children. Proverbs 29 and verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom. Don't get hung up on the rod. Don't get hung up that that's Bible teaching I'm supposed to hit my kid. It's a representation of discipline. The emphasis on this verse is not pro or against spanking. The emphasis in this verse is providing discipline. Discipline and reproof. That is explaining things. Discipline with explanation, give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child left to himself, when we ignore the problem and hope it'll go away, pretend it will, we hope someone else will say something so we don't have to. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Two verses later in that same chapter, Proverbs 29:17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. We need consistent discipline. Sometimes the most loving thing you can say to your child is no. Again, it sounds awkward, doesn't it? It sounds off. Sometimes the best way you can love your child is to say no. You say here are the boundaries and the boundaries keep you safe. I love you enough to do the hard work of setting and enforcing The boundaries. I love you enough to say no. Understand discipline is not yelling and screaming and fighting. It's setting boundaries. It's showing the limits. And remember, we're talking about consistent discipline. We've all seen parents that let things go, let things go, let things go until they just can't let it go anymore. And then they explode. I say we've seen parents... Have any of us seen that parent in a mirror? We let it go, let it go, let it go, and then explode. The child has no idea what in the world is going on. The child says, yesterday it was okay. Now it's not. Consistent discipline not only helps the child, it also helps the parent retain self-control. It's the same thing every every day. We have the same rules, and they're enforced in the same way, We are consistent. With that in mind, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. We don't want to blow our tops. With consistency, we can bring them up in discipline and instruction. I want to give you three real quick keys to discipline or three real quick Uh, I I would say uh, reminders about discipline. The first time I shared this list many years ago, we used to have paper bulletins and inside the paper bulletin, there was uh, an insert where you could write notes on the message. And you've seen this before. I would, I would say point one and then I'd have a blank. And as you listen to the message, you were supposed to fill in the blanks as we went through. Well, It used to say this, and and Ashley had a great time back then of getting the insert ahead of time and guessing what the answers were in the blanks, you know. And so when she saw this handout, uh, she said, never discipline in any way. She wasn't quite right. Instead, I would say to you, never discipline in anger. Discipline is for the good of the child. It is not for you to blow off steam. And so when we're angry, we know that is time to step back. If possible, you can hand that discipline in that one particular situation off to a spouse. That's not always possible. But we always take a step back when we feel like we're responding out of anger. Discipline is never about revenge It's never about fighting back. Discipline does not work in in, in a setting of anger. We step back, deal with our anger, then we're able to use consistent discipline. Number two, choose the best time and place. Choose the best time and place to handle the discipline. It is almost never in public. I know there are times, there are situations that require an immediate response. Most of the time, discipline is a private thing. It's almost never handled publicly, even at the ball field. Number three, choose your words carefully. You think about your words before you say them so you don't have to worry about them after you say them. Choose your words carefully. That same verse, Ephesians 6, 4, takes us to the last biblical principle that I want to share with you this morning. And that is, be willing to admit when you're wrong. Be willing to admit when you're wrong. Guess what? Your kids already know you're not perfect. You're the only one who's trying to keep up that facade. They know you're not perfect. So you're not going to wreck their little psyches by telling them that you made a mistake. As a matter of fact, if you admit you're wrong, two things happen. One, it reestablishes trust with your child. Also, it teaches them to accept responsibility when they are wrong. Too often, we're more like Fonzie. Remember Fonzie in Happy Days? There are two things that Fonzie could not do. He could not eat liver and he could not admit he was wrong. You're not gonna hang these up in any barracks because you're not gonna join the Marines. Just take all this stuff home, okay? But, Fonzie, not join? I'm all packed. You told me it was the right thing to do. Look, I know what I told you to do, but when I told you to do that, I was... (laughs) Ralph, I was... (laughs) I was not exactly right. What do you mean, not right? I mean, not right. I don't get you. You mean you were wrong? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Malf. I was what you just said I was just then, yeah. Wrong? The font's wrong? Malf, look. <laughs> there is a first time for everything, huh? I don't- <laughs> How many of you grew up on happy days? Don't you just. You gotta love happy days, man. And, and fun. <laughs> Fonzie just couldn't do it. I learned a lot from Fonzie. So the the first time I'm ever wrong, I'm going to admit it. Proverbs 28, verse 13 is the biblical principle. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I do love you, no matter what. And I should have handled this differently. It'll break your heart, but it will build theirs. And that's your job.